Hi FA Europeans, this is Matthias and today I have the pleasure to interview Martins, who is the founder and CEO of Mintos. It's the biggest peer-to-peer -peer lending marketplace in Europe and they started in 2015 and are headquartered in Riga. On Mintos' platform, there are currently 50 companies that lend out loans in 12 currencies to borrowers in 38 countries worldwide. More than 40,000 investors fund loans in nine loan segments, for example, car loans, small business loans or consumer loans. In this episode, we talk about how Martins experienced and managed the first real economic crisis due to COVID-19, and we discuss how the industry will evolve going forward. We also cover how the financial independence community can leverage P2P, what asset classes Martins invest in, and if crypto and sustainable finance is the thing for Mintos going forward. I hope you enjoy my chat with Martins, and please subscribe to the Financial Independence Europe podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Please also subscribe to the newsletter that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash newsletter. Welcome to the Financial Independence Euro podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This with your host, Matthias. Hello, FI Europeans. Do you like to diversify your portfolio and earn a nice and steady income? With LandSecured, you can invest in agricultural projects and support European farmers directly starting from 1st of March. It's a great alternative for payday loans with a loan term from 6 to 12 months. These loans are secured by crop insurance, personal guarantee and a three-way agreement. Visit financial-independence.eu slash LandSecured or click the link in the show notes to learn more. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today with me is uh, Martins from uh, Mintos. Say hi, Martins. Hi, Matthias. Pleasure to be here and um, uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, perfect. And I've just seen on P2P market data that you have kind of 45% or 44% market share. Um, so it's, Mintos seems to be still the go-to place for investors. How do you feel about that, that you kind of the Amazon of P2P or the Binance of P2P? Isn't that kind of cool <laughs> that you have developed that since 2015? I think what we more look at is, well, obviously, it is uh, great to see that uh, what we have built uh, takes sort of the market share. But I think at this stage, uh, it's still, even though it's been around for a while, it's still been a fairly short period of time. And we are still in the stage when we are building the pie, I guess, much less about kind of sharing the pie. And if you ask me, I, I would still say that it's still very, very early days of uh, making loans really a viable asset uh, in which uh, retail investors can invest in. And uh, this market share is maybe something less of of a thing which we look at is much more what we look at is what is ahead of us and uh, i think that uh, obviously the pandemic put a lot of things on on pause and on hold but now we are back on on a kind of growth track and with all the regulation coming in place and so forth i think the the real kind of growth is still only ahead of us so you say it's um, like like Jeff Bezos, it's still day one, <laughs> basically. Or day zero, actually. I think. I mean, if you look at the whole lending uh, mm. market as such, so it's humongous. So we are talking about if like total total lending, we are talking about like hundreds mm. of trillions of uh, the euros or US dollars lent out. Obviously, a lot of that would not be addressable market and would not uh, suit kind of retail investors. But uh, if you look only at that, which is the retail analysis, so we're talking still about uh, at least like uh, 
tens of billions of euros across the globe. So and of that, we have taken only a very small portion on the marketplace. So it's, uh, I would rather say, day zero, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. And so what have been so far the, the, the best and worst moments since 2015? If you remember, not maybe only Corona, but also the other years. Well, I think that the developments have been fairly gradual, and that is uh, how we also have have went about the uh, the marketplace. And uh, obviously, the first few years were more about understanding if what we do makes sense or not. And only I would say, like in 2018, but especially 2019, is when we first got to like uh, decent speed in terms of growth. Uh, but then the pandemic put on hold uh, all of that. So I would say that short 2019, I would say, was a very exciting year. So we see a lot of growth, a lot of investors joining, uh, a lot more volume going through through the platform and new lo loans available on the platform and so forth. And then opposite side. So obviously, it's uh, very easy to point out, which was not that kind of, albeit it was a very interesting experience. And I think uh, in the long term, very valuable experience. Uh, well, if we would have to choose, obviously, going through the pandemic and through 2020, we would choose not to go through that. But uh, it is uh, what, what it was. And uh, that's basically something which uh, I would point out is uh, maybe a less satisfactory experience. And what keeps you up at night currently? That's a question from the Facebook group. <laughs> so I have to ask that. Regulation. So <laughs> that's been a long, long process. So behind the scenes, we've been working on that. I think I think already for something like, if you ask me, like personally, I've been involved with regulation one way or the other, like for, I guess, for most of the history of uh, of Minter, so since, since we were established. So in the very early days, we were already very, Pro regulation, but uh, the fact is that uh, kind of the regulation is developing, and it took time for the European Union also to come to the terms what it means, like around fundamentals, of course, and also our business model has evolved and uh, basically has been a long process for us to get regulatory certainty and to be regulated uh, player in the market, and uh, now it is really, really final steps. So we do expect uh, by the end of August to, to receive the necessary license, which will mean that we become a regulated investment firm and all the investments and loans going to be through the uh, regulated financial instruments, which we will call notes. So they are MIFID II regulated instruments. Uh, and this has been a lot of work which we have put uh, into that, uh, especially in the last year, I would say. How many people are working on it, by the way? Because I can imagine it's a, it's a lot of, it's binding a lot of capacity to deal with the European Union and maybe local national banks. And um, is it just a long process or is it really also intense of having to use lawyers and uh, how much effort do you have to put into it? A lot of effort. I would say actually most of the team is not always involved. So uh, we today we are 160 people strong team. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the, uh, there are teams which are more involved, the same what you mentioned, legal, but so is uh, product and engineering uh, is involved a lot. So uh, there is special project team which is working on this. Uh, then it's uh, the same uh, finance team, AML team, also risk team uh, to some extent. Uh, also the uh, investor facing teams, especially now once we become uh, regulated, they will be even more involved. Uh, the partnership teams which work with the lending company. So basically, I would say most of the team is involved. Some of them are involved like really 100% of the time, if not more. Uh, some maybe are involved a bit less, but in general, it's definitely been a lot of effort uh, to 
put all the things in place so that uh, we comply with the requirements of the mm. regulated uh, player in financial. So as we t touch the topic, um, what are the benefits then in the end for, for, for investors? Is it just that you can say you are regulated and you're kind of compliant and don't get any penalties from, from the EU government? Or is there also uh, benefits from, for, for the investors by having a note? Or uh, for example, as I read that you were kind of protected for 20,000 euros uh, on your account like that. Or what are the benefits for the investor basically in the end? I think the whole regulation, I mean, I think the, the regulation is meant to, uh, uh, to protect the retail investors. So the whole regulation is uh, with this intent in mind that they uh, that it protects uh, retail investors. And so there's plenty of things which uh, come into the force. So many of them, though, we've been following already before we were formally regulated. So in a way, in a way kind of self-regulating ourselves. But uh, still, it basically gives us proof of uh, stamp of approval from the outside party, from the regulator, that what we do is actually complies with those things. And that's starting with as simple things as uh, what is the management, what is experience like, uh, what procedures do you have in place? So there's plenty of procedures which we had to to produce uh, to put them on paper. How we actually do things. Uh, the same AML, big big thing for sure, especially for the regulated uh, players. Uh, Yes, what you mentioned is the same as well. So uh, investors will be subject to the investor protection scheme, uh, which is uh, up to 20,000 euros is guaranteed in case Mintos as a platform goes out of business, then uh, a regulator uh, takes over and once they sort out, then investors are guaranteed up to 20,000 euros of, of their investment. Obviously, that is not guaranteeing the performance of the investment. So uh, that is separate uh, thing. So the Investment risk remains. It's more about the play, the investment firm risk as, as Mintos uh, would go out of business. And uh, in general, just uh, working in a regulated and very well understood environment, which is MIFID 2, uh, very well kind of recognized and been in place for, for many, many years. So those are, uh, I think, if anything, then the, the best place to our investors to gain from the regulation. Mm. And what are the, um, you, you mentioned also procedures you have to implement uh, or had to implement. What are maybe some examples of that? Uh, one in one instance, which already, one, one example, which already investors perhaps have seen most of them, at least on Mintus, is suitability and assessment test. So mm -hmm. uh, we do suitability and assessment test. And uh, while some investors might, uh, might think that it is the additional step and not needed step, but it actually helps. And it helps uh, investors themselves to actually define like what are their goals, uh, what they want to achieve, and maybe understand that actually investing in loans is not suitable for them, So uh, which is the, the whole reason of suitability and assessment test. And that also kind of limits what we can offer to to, to what investors and there are uh, investors to whom uh, unfortunately we won't be able to offer services because they are not suitable for them and what does it mean if you mentioned that uh, that regulators can take over if mentors go out of business what are they what are they then doing in the end are they just um, giving back maybe the cash amount on on my mentors account or what are they what are they doing then if mentors go out, goes out of business uh, it's basically the the key is uh, understanding who owns what and well the investments are still in place so you're going to have uh, as an in investor investors going to invest now in financial instruments with their own ISIN number so they basically uh, it, the, the regulator would come in and just uh, sort out the situation like who owns what and just basically run the 
run down the operations is uh, is what, what they would do. Then they, they also need to have some infrastructure in place to take over the operations because I think right now... The yeah, and that the, is the reason why we do integrate with a, with a regulator. So we do actually send the information about each and every ISIN mm -hmm. is sent to the regulator. So they do know all the transactions and that is uh, the reason for that. Okay, so I hope then they are capable of taking over the business, basically. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's obviously not the regulators themselves. It's most likely they do employ kind of third party or mm -hmm. administrator or something, but they do over they do oversee the processes. Basically, what is happening It's the same what would be happening with mm -hmm. any regulated marketplace. So the same with a bank. So the regulators themselves, well, sometimes they might go in and take over the bank. But usually, that would be done by somebody else, and the regulator is overseeing how the bank is ran down mm -hmm. and making sure that it's run down in an orderly manner. So they, they just contract a third party that is uh, doing it for them, basically. And Okay, um, I've seen, I, I just typed peer-to-peer -peer or, or Mintos on, in Google Trends, and I've seen that there is a, uh, you can see a yeah, peak in two, end of 2019. And now it's kind of, yeah, there's, I would call it maybe the, the valley of disillusionment, um, as you have said in all hype cycles. What do you think is needed to maybe accelerate then now out of the valley to attract more investors, more capital to flow into peer-to-peer um, -peer lending again? I've seen also, I've talked to other people who um, have invested in peer-to-peer -peer lending and they're now starting to look into it again and um, yeah, just understanding how it works and they also are ready to deploy more capital, but I cannot see it from the Google trend right now. So what do you... What do you think? Is, is the market accelerating again? Are people adding more uh, funds to their accounts or what do you think is needed to, to attract more investors? I would say what we see is a cautious uh, development so that people are uh, deploying mm. more capital and registering more. It's a bit difficult for us to say because due to the fact that we go, are going through the regulation. So a lot of initiatives we have put on hold when it comes to new new investor acquisition and uh, other activities. Uh, so it's been a bit dormant period for us as well until we get the license. So if you ask like from this perspective, what is needed is definitely regulation. So we're eagerly waiting for the license so that uh, we do have a regulatory certainty mm -hmm. and that uh, we can go full speed and that would uh, uh, should also bring back the, the growth what we saw in 2019 and early 2020. Apart from that, I think, sure, the pandemic showed that the, there are risks involved. And uh, on one hand, it's uh, it's obviously not something which, uh, which we would want to see that those risks materialize. But on the other hand, I think that was a kind of moment of truth showing that, well, when you invest at 10, 15% annual return, there will be risks, right? And that is something which uh, which we didn't see or investors didn't see in the first five or six years of Mintish operations. We barely had any problem cases. And I think we got to the point when all of us started to think that it is kind of risk-free 10, 15% investment, which, well, if you want to risk-free, then these days, perhaps the only risk-free what you can get is lent to, uh, I don't know, US government from for like 0.1% or something, right? Mm. or put money in deposits. So uh, that is uh, also something which I guess is uh, what's, uh, what's happening in 2020. And uh, now I think people are kind of reassessing how much of the portfolio to put, uh, to allocate to loans and um, and coming back uh, from the, the time and 
many of them actually just put on pause because there was uncertainty like what's going to happen in the world in general, but also what's what the COVID going to do with respect to the lending and loans and so forth. So um, we see this uh, trend kind of uh, uh, changing the turn and actually investors coming cautiously back. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was also a learning process um, during the crisis on both sides, maybe the investor side to see that there is actually risk and also on, on Minter's side, yeah, to improve the processes and um, yeah. How did you experience the first uh, economical crisis in, in the peer-to-peer market and how, what did you do to manage it? I could imagine that it was a tough time to, yeah, to just manage all that, yeah. for example, the defaults and so on. Sure, and uh, well, it obviously was uh, was challenging. Having said that, I would say that the so far, if you look at the results and basically what we look at, then after all the recoveries and in 2020, basically investors, well, diversified investors, which is very important to emphasize, and we will always emphasize diversification. Like well, diversified investor would look at after all the recoveries, perhaps at something like 10 percent. Uh, Potential capital loss, as there's still recoveries going on. So mm-hmm. uh, overall, actually, the year was not that dramatic as it would sound. So it's for uh, average investors, actually, they saw like 10% of their capital in recoveries and potentially will be in default. Right? So, uh, and if you do that combined with previous five, six years, when they saw like 10% increase every year, so basically it's like one, one year mm-hmm. profit, which uh, was um, wiped out in 2020. Uh, what we uh, did, I think, like in general, if you look at the 2020, then it was one of the worst crises which you can imagine for the lending business, and well, I think actually for the for our type of business, like as Minta's type of business, because it's like three things happening. So on one, first was that uh, there was like sudden and super drastic decrease in liquidity. So we saw like in early March that the investors just basically stopped investing. Mm-hmm. So there's no liquidity. It's basically, it, it decreased by three, four times in, in a matter mm-hmm. of week, mm-hmm. uh, which means uh, liquidity squeeze on, on on lending companies. So they uh, actually cannot issue uh, any more loans. The the portfolios are decreasing. The revenue are decreasing, and that brings a whole lot of problems for mm-hmm. for running the lending company because they don't have the one of the key things, which is funding for for, the, for loans, right? And then the second thing is obviously that the pandemic brought uh, problems with uh, for borrowers. So borrowers unable to pay pay back the loans. There are a lot of moratoriums and so forth going on, which means that there is uh, increase in uh, in a number of non-performing loans, which again puts additional stress to the mm. performance of of the loans and the lending companies. And finally, obviously that uh, also the same lending companies. I, I think very few of them were ready to do everything remote and uh, doing like uh, having employees to work remotely on the things uh, mm. which they used to do face-to-face and face uh, another challenge in running operations efficiently and smoothly. So that was three things coming together, which actually was, if I would describe, I would say one of the worst uh, crises which you might might imagine for, for, for what we do. We have to live with what it is. Uh, so obviously there were uh, loans going in, in recovery. So we established a recovery team very quickly and swiftly uh, put that into the place, uh, assigned all the partnership team working on, on those uh, cases and just went, went by one and uh, one by one and mm-hmm. did our best uh, to put the agreements and structures in place that uh, we do recover uh, the most. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to disclose it, but how many people do you need um, to yeah to manage the recovery? So I've seen on my 
on my mobile app some somewhere when last year that there was a new feature called recovery so i was thinking oh they are kind of customer first and then they are really caring about it and they're trying to provide some uh, transparency also to the investors that they can so as a service that you can yeah just because you're not maybe full-time investor so you need somebody helping you to keep track on all the recoveries and um, what news um, regarding the loan originators is and what actually can be recovered and what could, could be not be recovered so that's actually a, a lot of work for a single investor if you would be uh, in venture capitalist or business angel uh, you probably have to um, yeah deploy your own lawyers about it so i think it's a, it's a feature for a platform to to manage that in in a, to a certain extent but um, <clears throat> how much effort is it to um... uh, it's a lot of effort i mean again like similar to regulation i would say like most of the team is involved obviously hmm. uh, maybe like product and engineering is less involved but even they even then they uh, actually built all the tools uh, on a short notice so that we can actually be transparent about where the recoveries how, how how are they going in overall it's huge effort and a lot of that is behind the scenes so investors not going to see that so they're going to see only when the funds are recovered then and uh, that's also not going to happen in in a day's time right especially when you talk about rather large lending volumes it's not that uh, well those monies are sitting somewhere in the bank accounts and you can get just seize them and, and kind of recover it's a whole process and uh, it's easy to kill the company and uh, not recover anything uh, it's much harder to actually build out the structured uh, structured approach and process which is lengthy at times but that gives you uh, much better chances at, uh, at full recovery so all in all it's hard to say like the exact number of people involved my guess would be something like 50 60 people maybe it's all the whatever legal team well to start with it's all the recovery team it's legal team risk team finance team it's uh, the same communications team uh, it's out, outside legal help which we get, so it's a lot of resource which goes into in, into managing this. Also, the support team, maybe that support team to... for sure. Yeah, support team. And I mean, it's that is actually uh, most of the team, uh, mm. and uh, we do have special kind of special exposure uh, team as well. So it's quite a bit of effort goes into that, I've... which is behind the scenes. So and yeah. it should be behind the scenes uh, because well, as an investor, obviously when I do invest, so mm. uh, I will face uh, loans going to the recovery. So what I care is uh, how much is recovered, and that is what basically then the result what I care about. Um, so I've I've read on the internet <laughs> during Corona, uh, hundred, I see 124 million euro defaulted, 51 million recovered, and uh, still 80 million outstanding. Um, I've seen that. So um, what do you expect? I mean, 51 is is already a good chunk uh, recovered. Um, what do you expect uh, for the the rest of the 80 million? What percentage could could we expect as investors to be recovered realistically? I think the best is really to, to go to our website and look case by case basis. So that will give the, the best uh, information on this. So like if I have to generalize and it's still a lot of cases are, are going on. So we haven't closed them and we will continue working in them and there are recoveries happening. But mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, we also, of course, have to realize that there are going to be losses. And that is something which uh, is part of uh, investing in loans. So loans do default. So uh, borrowers mm -hmm. do not pay back. Lending companies do go out of business and they cannot honor the buyback obligation. So and these things are going to happen. And uh, it's like part of uh, the risk uh, which is involved when you invest in assets. 
fiscal shield like 10, 12, 15 percent. So that's that's going to happen. The, mm-hmm. the question is at what what magnitude it happens. So if it's uh, if after all those uh, uh, defaults, the the yield still makes sense. And if you look at the numbers and mm-hmm. over the six uh, six years or seven years, uh, well diversified investor uh, even after all the recoveries and even if we do the even after all the defaults and if you do all the uh, even kind of write down all of them, they are still looking at a decent 8, 9, 10% return. And that is something which we see uh, perhaps will be the long-term uh, return as well when investing in loans. And uh, obviously, it's going to be ups and downs. It's going to be periods when there's nothing happening. It's going to be periods like 2020, mm-hmm. a lot of things are happening. It's in a way similar to the uh, what you see in the, in the broader economy and in the same stock market. So there's going to be periods when it's just everything is going up, 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 up. And then it's going down, and then <laughs> overall the trend is yeah. uh, is kind of it should be looked over the much longer time horizon. And I think yeah. uh, even today, if we have like six, seven year time horizon, it's still short. So we have to perhaps we will be able to assess like long term returns over two, three business cycles, which means I don't know mm-hmm. 10, 20, even thirty years when you can say for sure like what, what's going to be the yields on uh, net yields on this. As we might not can uh, look into every uh, loan originator, as you have a, a lot of them on your website, um, but what's your approach in general to um, to recover the funds um, that are yeah outstanding, basically? Uh, again, it's going to be case by case basis, and perhaps the best to you know, if if investors are interested in specific cases to head to our website, or you we'll do, do also run the uh, ask me to send anything sessions about specifically recoveries. We also can reach out to the, our investor service team. But if in general, if we have to talk about this, then uh, our approach is simplest to to do our best to recover as much as possible. And that will uh, involve uh, very different actions in different cases. In some cases, uh, it's going to be a kind of structured agreement over uh, over a certain period of time. In some cases, it's going to be uh, looking after the wind downs of, of the lending company. And in some cases, it's going to be the same uh, legal enforcement. Uh, in, a, in the coming days, uh, one of the cases will be closed and we recovered full amount and that was through the legal. So it's, it's going to depend. Uh, it mm-hmm. really depends. Our approach is to recover as much as possible. And as much as I understand, obviously, investors also saying that, yeah, sure, let's go for the legal action. Let's choose them. Let's put them into the jail and so forth. Yes, well, you can do that. You can kill the company, and uh, but that's going to lead, in most cases, to the to much, much less recoveries. And if you do it in a more reasonable and uh, and kind of uh, mutual, not mutual, but more reasonable and uh, and then the kind of manner that basically takes uh, the whole things into uh, consideration. So that's that's our approach. Every case is very different, actually. If you if you ask. Mm. But again, so, I think we, we talk a lot about recoveries, but we have to realize it's uh, it's perhaps ten percent, fifteen percent of of the total. And on the flip side, there's been uh, fifty or more uh, lending companies which uh, have adapted to the to the pandemic very well. They have increased the volumes throughout the pandemic. Uh, they have continued to service the loans, issue the loans, and investors uh, who have been well diversified have actually already now all the potential loss which they might see from those recoveries they actually have already recovered by or not recovered but covered by uh, continuing investing and basically just uh, throughout the year already covered that part by mm. diversified investing 
Okay, so um, then we just, I think maybe most people have just to wait until um, the, yeah, the recover team recovered uh, some of the profits and also keep investing and maybe also reassessing their investment strategy, um, maybe investing in lower return loans or yeah, just more loans with a better rating or more collateral and so on. Uh, so everybody has to decide it on their own. Um, I would like to um, maybe head over to a question what Mintos could do for um, financial independence people who people who want to be financially independent half or fully and um, where they can how they can utilize uh, Mintos um, because as we uh, understood in long term so you maybe invest in 12% loans and you pay some tax you have some of some defaults and then you mentioned that in the end maybe long term you have like uh, you said, eight nine percent. I heard from somebody maybe seven percent in real return. So how can you use? I mean, that's somehow also the the stock market return. How can people use that? For example, um, can they use it as in their accumulation phase? For example, a thirty something who is earning money in their job. Is it a good tool to accumulate wealth, or would you say no? It's maybe not good for accumulation. Because of of the tax, um, it's better to use it as a savings savings account where you just have a small portion of your of your investments. How would you use Mintos to become financial financial independence, or is it just something for people who are already financial independent and want to have passive income? How would you use Mintos? I would journey? say that it actually uh, can be used by any of of. Uh... Investors, which you mentioned, so in, in, in any circumstances, what might differ is your allocation to how much you want to invest in loans and you want to invest through Mintos uh, in loans. So that perhaps would change. But other than that, I definitely believe that loans is a great addition to any investment portfolio. Uh, the thing what uh, what is important is obviously, as always, is diversification. So and uh, loans adds uh, another asset class to the portfolio and uh, in in general loans are not that correlated with other assets so uh, in kind of the normal market uh, conditions they are not uh, really correlated and also in the downturns uh, also the they are not that correlated with the same kind of stock market uh, mm-hmm. so that that would be a good addition to any portfolio uh, it really depends on on allocations so in some cases it might make sense to allocate more to the loans in some cases it might make sense to allocate less to, to, to loans and obviously loans uh, and it depends also what type of loans so if you look at the loans which are now available on the mint they would be characterized more as kind of mid risk uh, to high risk loans uh, if mm-hmm. you go very low risk loans then you are actually in the neighborhood, the same as would be investing in, in bonds or kind of uh, rated bonds, but that would be a different loans which mm-hmm. are uh, not available. But then also returns, you would have different. And that is something which uh, we have to work a lot of is that uh, investors do expect like 10, 12% return. And they do expect the same security what you get with uh, with investing in graded A graded bonds, right? So, but A graded bonds do come at two percent return, and they don't come at twelve uh, percent return. So you cannot have both worlds. You cannot have like twelve percent return and uh, zero risk, basically. So and likewise, you cannot have like two percent return and and a, a lot of risk. So it's usually the the higher return, the higher the risk. So, yeah, I would say it's a great addition to anyone who is looking to become financially independent or is already financially independent. It's uh, just a matter of uh, what is your allocation. And that is something which we saw 
before 2020 that actually a lot of investors kind of overextended them on 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 loans and they basically put too much of the allocation to the loans and then once they saw that the risk materialized they had to reassess like okay is it really uh suitable to my uh risk tolerance uh how much i'm allocating to loans and do you run maybe analysis um from the from your historical data um what portfolios are, might be more efficient than other portfolios so like portfolio theory that you say okay only for certain portfolios with certain countries are more or less risky than or have better returns than loans with other countries or loans with call it, uh, car loans are performing better than loans with the overall with um yeah investing in all loan categories Are you also doing these analysis based on your data? Uh, not in that fashion. So what we look more at is uh, like on the on the whole, and uh, that is something which we should also work on a, a lot is diversification. So um, for any any regular investor, the diversification is is the best way how to invest in loans. So. And sure, while I do understand investors who said that, yeah, well, but uh, there are loans which are uh, going to underperform. Why would I invest in those? Uh, but then the question is, are you an investor who can actually find and uh, reasonable confidence uh, say that these loans are going to outperform others and these are going to underperform? So I would compare it to the same stock market. So yes, you can be a stock picker and there will be stock pickers who are beating the market. But as a regular investor, you do invest in index funds and you trust that the index as such gonna gonna increase in value. I like using loans, like as a regular investor, like the most investors is the best served to invest in diversified portfolio, uh, which in the long term gonna gonna increase in value. Sure, you're gonna experience loan defaults, some funds in recovery, some default that's gonna happen. Um, but uh, most of the investors are not uh, in the situation, are not in the position that they can. Uh, with a reasonable certainty, uh, actually pick and choose loans, which are definitely going to outperform and not going to have any problems whatsoever. So most investors are actually best served to uh, invest in in what is essential index. So you just invest in all loans which are available mm. and you just go uh, go with that. The same as with index funds. So yeah, well, you can pick, pick and choose uh, stocks as well. And they're going to be which are performing very well. And I know if I would have picked whatever Uh, uh, companies like Tesla, whatever, like a year ago or a few years ago, I would be beating the market like very well. But meanwhile, I could have picked something which is underperforming. So the, the best is just to to go yeah, index. Are you also investing in in index index funds, or how do you invest? I I think you're also not having your full wealth in loans. I'm actually uh, fairly uh, so uh, I I'm fairly diversified. So my my for portfolio is. Uh, ETFs. I do invest in the same Vanguard All World Index. I'm super passive. I don't want to pick mm. and choose sector or geography. So I just trust that uh, in general the the market is going to go up in the long term. So that, that's in ETFs, real estates, uh, then uh, uh, farmland, something as well that I have in in my portfolio, and then loans for sure as well. It's a good addition to the. Uh, yeah. to the portfolios so I do have a certain allocation to loans as well so uh, mm. fairly diversified and what I look at uh, my portfolio is basically to have it super passive and I don't want to spend too much time on it so yeah it's the same with loans I just go like super broad I just take a um, diversified strategy and that's it and and real estate also direct investment and not any platforms and also farmland just just directly 
buying it. And that, like, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I haven't seen any of the platforms which I would kind of fully trust that they are doing uh, that good of a job when it comes to to real estate kind of investing investing so maybe some which i might consider and i'm investing actually in one which is kind of a loans to, to real estate backed kind of mm. small business to small businesses which are real estate backed loans but uh, that's about it like when it comes to real estate uh, mm. i think it's still um and not, not a good offering on the market and also no, no crypto not not into crypto, crypto right? i'm actually i finally changed my mind about crypto and uh, i'm actually gonna add crypto as well but uh, that mm. is more which uh, which i believe is uh, at least for me which sounds a good way to look at it it's i basically uh, think of it more as an insurance policy that crypto really going to be a big thing so basically mm. allocate something like five percent of the portfolio to crypto and if after 10 years it's a big thing, then I have participated in it. And basically I have, yeah, well, I have participated in it. If not, then basically I just paid kind of 5% commission of, of my total portfolio. So mm-hmm. I look at it a very long-term uh, insurance policy that it might become a big thing. So let's see. And um, you offer, um, because you, you're always suggesting to go di- di- to be diversified, to just buy the market on, on, um, on Mintos. And um, because you cannot access um, the risk really well, um, you offer three mentor strategies. I think one is the broad one, the other one is the high yield, and the next one is the more conservative one. And you have also seen in the lockout that you're currently serving surveying the people. Are you planning to change that? And why not just offering one, you know, one index strategy or just buying the market in in a broad way? Because you have that three. That is definitely. Yeah, that is uh, definitely in our pipeline. So the strategies is something which we would uh, invest resources in once we get the uh, licenses sorted out and we have uh, kind of resources available. Uh, so strategies, it's basically uh, can be many different strategies. And basically what we look at is like what investors are interested in. And again, I would compare it in a way to kind of ETFs, what you have in the market. So you have broad ETFs, you have sector-specific ETFs, you have country-specific ETFs or region-specific ETFs. So uh, likewise, we would see the strategies working on Mintus that you have just different strategies, which then suit different needs and preferences of investors. So But uh, as a rule for all of those strategies is that they are uh, well, diversified within that limitations so likewise i don't know if you look at the uh, the same etf sector etf specifics and then well the same technology sector obviously you're going to be diversified across the like, whole spectrum of technology companies so mm-hmm. uh similar what we look at is to, to work on the strategies and what we have now launched is basically first version kind of mvp and we're just uh, uh looking how it develops but uh, going forward we definitely will invest in, in strategies and uh introducing perhaps new Changing the, the current ones if needed, and uh, and in general, just uh, investing resources in them. Um, is it possible, or have you thought about that you can invest in such a strategy in a tax-efficient way? Because if you invest in the all-world ETF, you can have a, a, a TIS, um, accumulating one, so it's not um, giving you every month a, a return. So in that way, you're not you're not getting taxed on the on the uh, on the growth. Um, so just putting the uh, a certain amount of peer-to-peer loans in a in a fund wrapper or anything tax advantage wrapper, I think that would be, be beneficial um, because you can decrease the interest rate and the investors maybe get a percent more because they don't uh, they are not taxed. 
I could imagine that it's difficult to implement, but have you thought about it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it all comes down that we've been working on becoming a regulated marketplace. We have to move all the setup to financial instruments. Once, once you have financial instruments in place, and hmm. this is certainly much, uh, it gives us much more certainty on, on what we can do and what we cannot do. So uh, that this uh, these things, what you mentioned, would be something uh, which we uh, have thought about it, but we have to basically get to the position when it's all kind of sorted out with financial instruments and then we can look into the strategies. And, and are you planning in the future maybe also to have your first loan in, in, uh, in a cryptocurrency? <laughs> Do you see that is coming in the next five or three or ten years? In ten more likely than in three years. So well, mm. let's see how it develops. I think uh, it's really how we look at that is that crypto is it's definitely huge potential but it's still not mainstream so it's still very fairly niche and uh, already for us to offer loans to the broader masses masses as an investment is already qu quite a thing to do so uh, is, well obviously loans have been uh, with, with, with us for thousands of years and is much uh, much younger but uh, in general well uh, we kind of today we don't have any plans uh, with respect mm. to crypto Okay, so um, not not right now and in the next years, but um, Mintos is a is a marketplace, and you um, I what I obse have observed, especially in, in in the crisis in the recent one, is that there is a trend to this direct to customer. So, for example, that you instead of buying on Amazon, you could just buy go directly to Adidas website and and buy your shoes there. Is that also something? Um, affecting peer to peer marketplaces um, because you have also some bigger, I wouldn't call it platform, but um, companies that are offering loans from just one originator, but they can then, they're integrated vertically. So they basically, they have no platform as a middleman. How would you, for example, um, how do you see the trend and how would you maybe convince them to, to join Mintos, um, the marketplace? What arguments would you have to maybe um, have this, this loan originator or, or company To, to join Mintos and offer their loans there. Because I could imagine that companies who have already a quality portfolio and a lot of liquidity, they don't want to be maybe on the marketplace because they can also just have their own brand and market to, to the customers that have. Uh, I think two things, like one is definitely that liquidity is just like magnitudes of uh, difference between what we can offer and what you can get uh, as a kind of uh, one loan originator platform so we do have 400,000 investors mm. and none of the kind of uh, players come even close to, to that number so the liquidity is just uh, magnitudes of difference uh what you can get on mintos uh that's that's one and the other one i think it's uh, regulation going to change a lot of things so uh, i doubt that it makes sense for for those small platforms to go through all the regulation and with all the increased compliance costs and all this so while for us we do it once and uh, we then can spread out all those costs across all the lending companies which are on the mintos in a way and likewise from investors perspective as well so Well, when, when they will have to go through all the AML with like 10 different platforms, well, at some moment they're going to realize perhaps that it's too much of a hassle. And uh, in general, also, that's what we see like uh, already today. There are uh, lending companies which use Mintos and then they uh, think 
uh, that they want to diversify their funding sources and they might want to create their own platform, but still the vast majority of the funding or uh, of loans happens on Mintus for them. So they do use Mintus still to, to a great extent. And these uh, one loan generated platforms, I think it's going to be tough time for them, actually, especially after regulation. And many of them perhaps are going to play hide and seek uh, uh, with respect to regulation. But sooner or later, all, all of the market will have to become regulated. And I think also investors will appreciate that it is um, much uh, better to use regulated player and to invest in loans than to go through unregulated. So you say um, because of the cost of the regulation, there will be also market consolidation so that they might join you or go, go out of business because the costs are too high. So there will be um, fewer platforms or, or, or websites to invest in peer-to-peer -peer loans. So there will be maybe um, decrease in 30, 40% in competitors, basically. Mm, it's hard to put like exact number, but I definitely think that, uh, yeah, well, mm. I already now I know that some will not go through the regulation. So um, mm. let's see what, what they do. But uh, yeah, well, it's, it's in a way, I mean, it kind of doesn't make sense that, uh, I don't know, it would be the same that, every big company uh, who needs funding becomes a bank, right? So mm. it doesn't make sense. So you just use a bank, which is available there. So you don't need everyone to become a bank. So likewise here, so you don't need everyone to become licensed investment firm to basically uh, sell the loans because it's selling the loans is sometimes a kind of commodity type of business. So it's uh, no difference if you invest in, 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 it's actually the difference is though that if you invest through Minted, then if something goes south, then you have uh, Minted acting on behalf of investors. Like uh, if investors would invest in a direct directly through the platform in, in the lending company's loans, uh, and that would go south, well, good luck for investors to recover anything. So uh, that would not be that well-organized and, and executed process as it is with, uh, with if somebody there is in, in the middle. And that we see already now. So in those hmm. cases where it takes a lot of effort for investors to organize themselves together, to find uh, lawyers, to kind of agree on the costs and so forth. And that, that the more time passes, uh, the less recovery is uh, actually yeah, one can expect. So. Until when it goes good, it goes good. Everybody's happy. But yeah. the, the thing is, what happens when it doesn't go good? Yeah, I mean, you also have said on Amazon, if you if you buy something and have uh, are in trouble with um, the company you're buying off on the marketplace, then you always can yeah ask Amazon to help you with with that. But um, I thought the difference maybe to Mintos is that you have uh, fewer loan originators. Maybe just how many do you have currently? Uh, around fifty. Around 50 loan originators, and you you also yeah you I think more to a certain extent you have to keep them also happy more than maybe Amazon needs to have their marketplace uh, or product originators um, to keep them happy because you have just a few fewer ones. Especially um, I've read on, on on a Facebook a comment that somebody would like to only invest in high quality or high rated, uh, maybe rating eight, nine um, loans, uh, but couldn't find um, enough companies to diversify. So he's getting an email that he should diversify more, but can't find enough companies to do so uh, for a reasonable interest rate, <laughs> just to point that out. Yes, that's uh, well, but then again, it's, uh, I guess what, what we a bit covered already is that it cannot be that you get higher 
kind of rating and the same interest rate and the interest rate has to be adjusted and those eight nine ten well we don't have any one which is ten we have some which are close to nine uh rated loans but uh, they will come at a lower interest rate so they're not going to come at uh, 15 percent and uh, rating nine so that's just uh, impossible so that's going to be rating nine five six seven percent uh so that's uh what you basically how you get to the more uh, safer investments but if you want a more safer investments then you the investors would uh, need to be ready to take on uh, lower returns so lower risk lower return likewise the higher return higher risk basically people could also decide if they can for a low risk um just five percent uh, return they could also just invest in the etf where they get maybe seven percent so that's that's the question some some people have in their mind uh, yeah for sure and that is uh, that is definitely something good to be taken into account and that is uh, i guess part of uh, diversifying the portfolio so mm. uh, etfs are good uh, investment for sure but if uh, if there are assets which allow you to further diversify and which yield kind of similar then you mm. know perhaps it would make sense to diversify and invest in in different assets uh, so that is basically you take out all the all the market risk from from the equation so one question also as we touch the topic um <clears throat> becoming a regulation and becoming a bank the the idea to have to have yeah to become a bank or getting a bank license you um and also maybe issuing like like binance issuing a visa card or something like that um, is that still a plan or have you um kind of withdrawn the idea to do that uh, we have never had a plan uh, at least until now mm -hmm. and also today we don't have any plans to become a bank so and the the license what we get is investment firm license and the other license which we are getting is electronic money institutional license mm -hmm. uh, those are specific licenses which allow us to do to, uh, to provide specific regulated financial services but uh, they're definitely not like full bank license and we don't have plans uh, regarding full bank license and also not issuing a card or something like that We put it on hold. So uh, after uh, more kind of in-depth research, uh, so we just put it on hold, and we take the current moment. It's not, it's not uh, something which uh, we would want, want to invest resources in, but uh, buy something which, in general, uh, we, we would consider or could consider doing. But uh, well, it's uh, it's also the volume business, so. And something we should take into account. Uh, there are also many new neo banks, so I I don't think that people have a shortage in 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 cards in their in their wallet. <laughs> Because, yes, for sure. So there are many new players. So yeah, the question is why doing that. Maybe a last topic. My wife uh, don't wants me to uh, put too much money into consumer loans um, because she's uh, worried what what's going to happen with the um the borrower and so on um is this for example this esg criteria and social responsibility is that is that um for for uh, on the one hand a risk to the industry because more people are demanding for that and on the mm -hmm. other hand also a, a topic where you see your loan originators and and mentors um putting uh brain into it and and headspace to develop a strategy there It is something which we see lending company thinking about, but mm -hmm. not something which is now kind of actively happening. And I think that is reflecting the general the what is happening with ESGs that there are only the first kind of 
I've thought about uh, it and there are obviously when it comes to some ETFs that are already a specific ESG ETFs and I think if anything this trend gonna definitely become stronger and I would not be uh, surprised to see that also the lending companies apply it one, one way or the other so we definitely have seen that uh, some of them are already thinking about that and mm. I think ESG in general will be a hot topic for the times to come and uh, at least now it is Definitely upward trend. Let's see how it goes, but uh, mm. we definitely keep an eye on it. And and then maybe I could on Zalando when you buy some um, yeah clothes, um, you can also filter for sustainability so that you only get uh, shoes that are sustainable produced. Can, could you manage also have some criteria on your auto invest um, to invest only in those? In theory, yeah. In theory, that. Uh, <laughs> Could, could be doable. Uh, do we uh, do, do you know anything? Uh, do we have any initiatives about it uh, today? No, not really. But uh, mm. is it something which we kind of keep an eye on it? Yeah, for sure. So that is uh, something yeah. which we are. Uh, Because I've, an eye. I've seen it also on the website of TrustGo or 11 or uh, slash Mogo that they kind of in their words already preparing for this, so that they're doing social responsibility. Uh, responsible things or helping people to go upwards in the social hierarchy and and so on and not emph emphasizing also the good sides of the of being a consumer loan company basically so um i think we, we have come to an end um, um thank you very much for the interview maybe one last question is there any that we also ask all guests is there any maybe resource not well known any book podcast website that you can recommend or that you consume and where you maybe have some inspiration received from that you could also rec recommend to other people uh, i think what might not be well known in europe at least uh, is you need a budget which is an app for budgeting when they mm -hmm. do run a blog as well and actually i i use you need you need a budget myself and been using it for, for quite some time and i think the resource Uh, their blog is actually a good resource uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to those who are interested in financial independence. So that might be a resource which actually is not well known in, in Europe, at least. Uh, not to everyone, I think. Okay, thank you very mm -hmm. much, uh, Martins, for the interview and uh, have a nice day ahead, I would say. Thank you, Matthias. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the episode. We really appreciate you taking the time and we would love to hear your feedback in the comments on our website financial-independence.eu or you can head over to our Facebook group and engage with us and like-minded people that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you like. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle FIEurope. And for people on our email list, we post occasionally about special updates, ideas, events and curate the best contents from the European FI community. You can find that at financial-independence.eu slash newsletter. Thank you for being part of the community and see you in the next episode.